Welcome to another edition of the Athletes Perspective. Today, I have a couple of cheerleaders, cheerleaders in the booth with me. Stefan and Lauren are here with me. They're on the large co-ed intermediate cheer squad. Um, that took a little effort because there's four cheer teams here. But we'll get into that later. Um, Stefan, why don't you tell me where you're from? So I'm from a little bitty town just north of Springfield, Missouri called Marshfield. Uh, it's just a rural town. Um, it's about four hours south of here, so close enough that I can go home on the weekends if I want to, but far enough that I don't have to. Yeah, it's not bad at all. I know yeah. I've, I've had people in here from California and Australia and, and places like that. I'm just like, I mean, you're one, you're a long way away from home, and then two, you're like not in that climate where it's just like perfect all the time. Right. Uh, Lauren, what about you? Where are you from? I'm from Winsville, Missouri, so it's just about 30 minutes from here. Okay, yeah, that's uh, it's pretty cool. So you guys really didn't have any kind of... Um, climate change or um like a change of culture because i mean i've had people from different countries so it's all the same you guys are from here you guys know the area pretty well so mm-hmm. that's pretty cool um did you guys cheer seven did you cheerlead in high school or was that just a college thing it was mostly just a college thing um i got into it super late in high school um i cheered basketball season my senior year um basically for a girl just spending time with my girlfriend and decided to do it and as a kind of a last minute thing i tried out in college um, emailed the coach, was talking with the coach for a while, and I explained to her that I really don't have much experience in the sport, but, you know, it'd give me a chance. Yeah, I'm a quick learner, and I can pick up really quickly, and she gave me the chance, and now, you know, five years later, that's, you know, where I've been, so. So what was it like being a male on, I mean, a cheer squad in high school? I know it's it's pretty common in college. It's been mm-hmm. pretty common for a while for uh, males to be on cheer squads, but I'm, I don't think I've ever seen, um, growing up, I never saw a male on high school cheer squad, so what was that like? Was it um, was it hard, you know, um, being... Yeah, like, it could have been a little intimidating. Uh, luckily, I was pretty well-liked throughout the school, um, and I've always had kind of a, a strong, like, self-image of, like, I don't really care, like, what people said or anything like that, so it didn't bother me too much if people said anything. Um, it also helped, like I said, that I was dating one of the cheerleaders, and so there weren't, you know, there was a lot of kind of... We had one other guy on the team, and he did. He got more flack than I did, you know, kind of some homophobic comments and stuff, mm-hmm. and... Um, I luckily escaped a lot of that, like I said, because I was dating a girl on the team and um, just because I was pretty well liked in the school. But yeah, like there's definitely like that's something that especially in this kind of a rural area or kind of like more of a conservative area where you don't really get a lot of high school male cheerleaders. I mean, you get some uh, like outside of schools and like kind of all star, which is kind of the uh, extracurricular um, club. Yeah, kind of club teams. But yeah, you really don't get a lot of high school cheerleaders that are male. So you said you wrestled. Did you play any other sports? Um, I didn't do any other sports through the school, but I've done Taekwondo for 17 years. I have a third degree black belt and I'm a certified Taekwondo instructor. Um, started that when I was five and kind of grew up doing that. That was my passion for a long time. Um, and my school actually, my Taekwondo school closed down when I was like 16. And that's kind of where I, part of the reason why I started branching out and trying to look for other, you know, avenues for, to stay active and kind of, that's kind of part of what led me to cheerleading. All right, cool. Uh, Lauren, what about you? How did you get into cheerleading? Well, I was a gymnast for 11 years. So I started gymnastics when I was three, and I did it all the way through um, four, when I was age 14. So right when I was starting high school. And uh, in, my, in my school district, you could start cheering for the school in eighth grade. And my mom asked me if I would like try it out, see what it looked like, because we were considering pulling me out of gymnastics at that time anyway. So I tried out eighth grade cheer. Didn't really like it. Um... And then I snapped a tendon in my ankle, had to quit gymnastics, and I was like, well, cheer is all I got now. 
So um, once I recovered from that, I cheered in high school all four years, and I started going into all-star cheer that Stefan kind of touched on earlier. It's like the club version of cheer that um, that you don't cheer for games, you don't um, do any of that stuff. All you do is practice and compete multiple times a year. So I got into an all-star team, really liked that, and then um, I ended up switching to a different gym, and I stayed at that other gym for a couple years, like for the rest of high school. And all-star is really what um, got me, it sparked my love for cheer, I would say. High school cheer was kind of a joke in my area. Like, we were good, but it was more drama than a sport at that point. Whereas the all-star team was like hardcore, you have to go to the gym, you have to work out, you know, you're running before practice, you're doing bear crawls in practice, and you're gaining muscle and gaining um, friendships and like real bonds with your teammates. And so that is really what sparked my love for cheer and then got me to Lindenwood. So would you say that being a gymnast kind of like carried over into cheerleading? Did you feel an advantage with well, I'm gonna start by saying that um, when we were in gymna- when I was in gymnastics, we actually made fun of cheerleaders all the time because you see high school cheerleaders and everyone's like they can't even do two push-ups. So um, it was really weird coming to cheer, but because I had all of this gymnastics tumbling background, I had years of technique that I had built up, and tumbling is a pretty big part of cheer. It's literally tumbling and stunts is the main thing. So I had that tumbling aspect going for me but I had no idea what I was doing when it came to stunts no idea at all that took some time so when I think of cheerleading I think of um like you said just girls not being able to do two push-ups and just chanting on sidelines of of games but I understand that you guys you guys compete I guess my question is um I mean you guys think cheerleading is like is this a sport right Oh, for oh, sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's actually ranked as the number one most dangerous sport in the nation, actually in the world, really. Um, basically because, like, where other sports throw around a ball, you know, you drop the ball, you miss the pass, like, the ball just bounces and you pick it up and you keep going. Where in our sport, we're throwing human beings. So, like, when we launch a girl into an air, it's very technical, it's very precise. Everything has to be exact because if you catch wrong or don't catch at all, then that's someone you've now seriously injured, and there's actually girls who will be, you know, seriously, you know, it's a very dangerous sport. They've had uh, girls with broken necks, broken legs. Um, concussions are actually a very prevalent thing for both the flyers and the bases. I mean, because if she comes down weird, it's just as likely that you're going to get hit as a base trying to catch her than it is that she's going to get hit. So it's extremely uh, dangerous, but it's also a really high-impact sport. Um, our routines are only two minutes in... 15 seconds to 2 minutes and 45 seconds, depending on um, what kind of how this you know, it's structured. But um, this is going to become some, some of the most intense two minutes of your basically two minutes of your life because it's just nonstop. As soon as you throw one thing, you're sprinting across the mat um, to do something else, and it's every individual thing just requires muscles groups that you know a lot of you know you don't you don't use all the time. It's just basically all body because it's. You really have to you know engage your core, your legs, your arms, everything to make all these things work. Um, and you're and, expected to smile while you're doing it. Right, because you're expected <laughs> to not only, you know, have this girl in the air, but you're expected to you know put on a show because it is a it's a performance just as much as it is, um, you know, uh, something that you're, you know, you're putting on. So you're expected to you know have a smile on your face, high value, high energy, and like be performing for the crowd while performing all these um, highly intensive and very kind of 
technical um, skills. Um, and it's something that it's just as much based on strength as it is as technique. Like um, you'll see really, you know, large athletes come in and they, they do pretty well. I mean, it gives, you know, have any, any time in a sport that you're strong or you're, you know, bigger than your than the people around you, you're going to have some sort of, sort of an advantage. Mm-hmm. But I've also seen where these big, huge guys who don't really have the technique aspect, um, they can do basic skills, but you're never going to reach that pinnacle or that, you know, elite actually level. be elite level without technique because everything has to, you know, it's timing, it's, um, you know, trajectory, it's angles of your flicks, angles of your tosses, where you release, where you catch, how you place your hands. Everything is so technical and it's so fast. If you, you know, yeah, it takes you know, maybe one second to toss and catch your thing. And so that's one second that you have to understand, okay, well, this is where I let go, but this is now where my flyer is. This is where her feet are. This is where I need to catch. Oh, her feet have come out slightly. And so like in that split second of being able to see that, adapt to it, and still manage to make that technique work is the difference between, you know, hitting a skill, hitting a routine, winning a championship, and basically, you know, just failing, basically. So I don't know if Lauren has anything to add, but... Um, well, regarding um, technique and what you're saying about how quick you have to be able to adapt in stunts, not only does he have to be able to adapt to what I'm doing, but I have to be ready for his adaption to whatever he's going to do. If I know something is going up, he's tossed me, and something feels off, I have to um, be able to adapt and prepare myself for whatever he's going to try to do to save that stunt. I have to try to stand, literally stay like a pencil straight and stand on whatever he's giving me whether he's got two fingers under me or two full hands I'm expected to stand there and balance and let him do whatever he can do to get under that stunt while also doing everything in my power to make sure and to give him that the easiest pathway to doing that and it's like in group stunts it's a little different because I've co-ed stunted and I've group stunted and for those of you listening who don't know the difference a co-ed stunt is just one boy and one girl together whereas a group stunt you can have three or four people underneath you and the one flyer so in group stunts if something goes wrong it's not just the boy and the girl trying to adjust to each other it's the three or four people under the girl and the girl all trying to figure out what's going on and to adjust to each other and you really have to mold into one solid unit and I think our Stefan and I stunt group this year really became one working unit where we knew, oh, if this happened, this person's likely going to do this. So everyone just automatically knew, like, this is how we fix this. And it takes a long time to develop that um, synchronization with each other. And also takes a lot of trust. It is not easy to let people throw you 10 to 15 feet in the air and expect that they're going to catch you on the way down. It is not easy. And it's not easy for them, I'm sure, to throw me in the air and expect me not to come down and knock them out with my elbow or my fist or something my head yeah like lauren brought up trust and that's really i mean it's like any team you you have to trust your teammates um that's one thing the coaches really were kind of stressing to us this year and all of our flyers of you know you have to trust your bases that they're going to keep you in the air and bases have to trust the flyer is going to do what they need to do in the air and so it's kind of that thing of if you for instance like if your flyer doesn't trust that she's going to be in the air then she can't do the things in the air that she needs to do so like whether she's pulling a body position or hitting um so in a body position is maybe um that's basically her, like I said, her body position in the air. Um, and if she doesn't feel stable, she's going to feel like maybe she can't do that. But she has to trust that her bases, no matter how unstable they feel, that they're going to keep her in the air and they know what they're doing to do that. And if she can't trust them to do that, then she's not going to, like I said, be able to hit her body positions. And so you're, 
as you know, it's like you said, you have to kind of come together, trust each other, and you really have to be, you know, sometimes like in a group stunt, be four people really operating as one form, one person. Because um, it is it is one thing, like if one person, if you know like, oh, they, they're slacking in this part right now, then you're able to kind of compensate in other ways to help that person out because it is, it's a group thing. If, if one person misses their catch, that's a missed catch for everybody. It's, you know, the whole thing can crumble. And so you have to be able to support each other, understand, okay, well, this is the weak points in this part. This is the weak points in that part. This is where, how I need to step so that they can step where they need to step. So this person over here can turn where they need to turn. So this person can grab where they're going to grab so that it all can come together for that, you know, maybe a little... What seems flawless Yeah, but it seems like a... Seems easy. Flawless little 10-second stunt. There's so much little, like, kind of just, like I said, just really technical aspects that go into every little element of that mm-hmm. stunt to make it hit to just that one little little pose in the air basically so oh yeah Stefan was that was a really big thing for our stunt group this year was like basically for flyers like you're standing on typically one foot on top of other people's hands so their hands aren't always covering your entire foot if they don't get exactly where they need to be really quick so it can be pretty hard to stand on that sometimes so as a flyer like you really have to trust that okay they may not have any hands on my toe right now but I know that if I just stay up there for the, that half second longer, fight for this that half second longer, they'll get there. And Stefan had to tell me before every stunt, do what you need to do. We will keep you in the air. You got it. And we had to. he had to tell that to me every single stunt because, I mean, it's a mind game. You're like, mm-hmm. oh, man, no one's on my foot. I could fall and die right now. Yeah, cheerleading is definitely probably like 85 90% mental. I mean, it's so there's a very physical aspect to it, but it is, I mean, it's, Especially when you get into tumbling, it's you're telling your body to do things that it's not naturally meant to do. You're telling yourself, I'm going to launch myself through the air, flip upside down, and sometimes flip upside down and rotate horizontally as well. And that's just something that, you know, your body's natural instinct is to not do that, is to not, you know, it's your survival instinct kind of kicks in. And sometimes when it's like, no, I don't want to go upside down. No, that's dangerous. No, don't do that. Our feet want to stay on the ground. <laughs> right. And so you have to kind of be able to put mind over matter and put, you know, control your body and have that excellent body control to be able to, you know, get over that instinct and also to be able to control yourself in the air so you can do it and make it look good as well so well first of all um you guys are definitely killing this podcast i feel like i don't even need to be here and you guys <laughs> explain, like pretty much answered all my questions uh without me saying anything so wow <laughs> yeah um but backtracking a little bit um so stefan you're a base right right so and lauren you're a flyer yes so stefan your job is to hold lauren up and make sure i don't die Yes. Yeah, so um, like you said, I've done both co-ed, which, like you said, is just one guy, one girl, so it's a little bit different. But, yeah, in both aspects, basically my job is to give her something to stand on. It's to get one solid line so that she has the support she needs to do what she can do in the air. Um, as a co-ed, that means under being uh, under her foot, and like you said, getting two feet under her foot, supporting both the heel and the toe, she has a stable platform to stand on. And then basically my job is just to lock out my body and create that nice solid line of, hands over shoulders, over hips, over feet, just one solid line to be sturdy under her so she can do whatever she needs to do. Um, and the group stunt aspect, um, as a guy, I'm usually what's called a back spot. And so you have the two bases that are under her feet. Uh, the back spot will be on the ankle. So my job is to stabilize her in the air as well as to um, support my bases. So my job is to take as much weight off of my bases as possible so that they can support my foot basically yeah balance that foot and support the foot so that she has something to stand on and i'm there's i'm I'm there to basically take the weight and then to 
um, basically balance like the back to forth, side to side motion to keep her upright and basically to kind of control her hips in the air. Um, and basically, like I said, just make it as stable as possible for her to do what she needs to do. Okay, so how do you prepare yourself to hold someone up? Because, um, I mean, I would doubt they just throw like a body in your hand, like hold your, her life is in your hands now. So what do you do to um, get yourself in a position to be able to hold a human in your hand? It's basically just focusing, making sure that your hands are where they need to be, when they need to be there. Um, and a lot of it is reacting, so especially as a back spot. So like as a back spot with my hands on like her ankle and calf, I can feel like the muscles in her leg tense and relax and sway back and forth as like her ankle, maybe as it's going side to side. So I can feel as her legs twisting one way or another so I can I know where to pull here or push there or lift here. And so that's, especially as a back spot, it's very reacting. So I'm basically like the support of the whole group of, I have to react off what they're doing. So like if, if I see like it start to fall one way because, you know, maybe a base is under it too far or they're, you know, not quite having it on the right foot, then I know that, okay, I need to lift this way. I need to support this way so they can have that second to fix their grip. So they have that time to get back under it where it needs to be. Or like I said, if I feel, you know, Lauren's leg in the air starting to tilt one way, then I know I need to start applying pressure the other way to get it back up in the air and basically think of it like a, well, like a brace. So basically I'm there is to, you know, keep that leg straight and to basically give her the support she needs to stand on whatever her bases give her and then also to take some of that away from the bases so that they have the time and the um, the ability to get their hands where they need to be to support her. And I used to be a base in high school for a while. I was the thrower of people. <laughs> um, and so when, like, speaking from, like, if you were to come in and try cheer today, mm -hmm. we weren't just, we wouldn't just be like, hey, here's a person thrower. Yeah. Try these elite skills. It, it very much starts with teaching you that technique and doing drills over and over and over again until you get, this is exactly how I hold this person. This is what I do should she fall. Because Stefan Shaw very much is the lifeguard of the stunt. If I fall, his main priority is my head and neck. Because, I mean, I can't function without those. A leg, maybe. I need my brain. Uh, so we take a very long time teaching exactly how you need to be holding the person, what um, your grips need to be, and the safety of it all. And when we do teach people to stunt, we typically get what we call spotters. So just other people on the team to come and stand around the stunt. Because, no, like, learning a new stunt, you're not just going to be like, I want to try this new stunt, bink, and it just hits the first time. It takes a lot of falling a lot of adjusting and figure out, figuring out what specifically works for you because what works for Joe Schmo over here isn't going to work the same for Stefan sometimes. Sometimes it does. But it's a lot of trial and error. So we don't just like throw people in and say, try this elite stunt. You've never gone in the air before, and you've never, or you've never held someone in the air before, but try this crazy stunt that this college cheerleader just did. We, we take you back to the basics and start there and then build up on that foundation until you get to the elite level. So, Lauren, as a flyer, how did you build your trust with the bases? Because, I mean, when high school, I hung out with some cheerleaders, and I was like, oh, yeah, you guys hold people up. Why don't you try to hold me up? And so, like, you know, they put their, like, hands together, and, like, it was going to have me step on their, their hands so they could lift me up. And I was like, like, their hands were wobbly, so I couldn't, like, find the stabilization. It's like, mm -hmm. I don't know, I don't want you guys to drop me and stuff like that. So, I mean, how did you, like, build up the tolerance to be able to not only trust your base, but just be able to... Um, hold yourself up um, well that takes time with every stunt group with every stunt partner with every stunt group um, it takes time to build that trust with everybody so even if um, 
I, I knew going in that Stefan is a great back spot, and my two bases that I had this year were amazing bases. We still wouldn't go in and just start throwing crazy stuff off the bat. We build that foundation with each other, and we figure out how each other work and start with some basic skills and get to know each other as cheerleaders and flyers, bases, back spots, so that when we got to those elite skills, we knew how each other worked. And I had that trust in them because... <clears throat> I, I knew how they worked and I knew that they were going to catch me because they probably already caught me before. And I mean, it's at the beginning, it's, it's very much a mental game. Like we have some um, recruit clinics where they have all of our recruits come in. And as a flyer here, I let um, all the recruit boys throw me and that can be kind of nerve wracking. If you don't know a new person, like even here tunting with my stunt partner last time, last year for the first time, it's nerve wracking because you don't know what it's going to feel like. You don't know what they're going to do. You don't know what they catch like. And um, you just kind of got to turn that part of your brain off and say, you know what? I know what I'm doing. So I'm going to do everything in my power, correct, to make sure that I'm the best I can be for him or for them so that they can do everything in their power to keep me up. And you, you turn that part of your brain off and eventually it's just second nature not to even think about it. Like throwing them throwing me, I never had to think about if they were going to catch me or not once we got past that initial first, I don't know, two practices together because I knew that they were going to catch me because they're great athletes and they don't want to break their toys. <laughs> so how did you learn how to like, how do you learn to do flips in the air? Because I mean, it's one thing to do them on the ground. So how do you turn yourself in? like get the momentum to flip in the air and like in a basket toss yes like rotation flipping or like backflip flipping i mean however they throw you up how how do you flip <laughs> like how do you <laughs> learn to do that lots of drills on the ground um it a lot of what we what i do in the air starts with work on the ground so we have drills for um, we have the skill called a kick full basket toss so i go up and i kick my leg and like up towards um my face and then I um, rotate 360 degrees, like, sideways. So you'll lay on the ground first, you'll kick your leg, and you'll roll on the ground. And they okay. say, this is what you will feel in the air when you do this. So, and with that, it's just a lot of trial and error. And then with rotating, like, flipping in basket tosses, that's kind of a different game. That can be a little more scary. <laughs> I know I had a hard time getting into those last year because you can't um, flip in stunts, like, free flip without bracers um, in, in high school and all-star. So coming here and they wanted me to be thrown 20 feet in the air and then flip is kind of nerve-wracking. Um, but it feels very much the same as on the floor in that I know I still, like, I just pretend my base's hands are the floor. I know I still have to stand up before I flip, and I know that I have to take my shins and I have to pull my shins over my head. Um so I have to try to keep in mind that, like, the technique from the floor, because that technique is the same. I just know I have to ride a lot longer. And my, by ride, I mean, like, stand up and wait before I flip a lot longer. Because if I just start flipping immediately off their hands, I'm not going to go 20 feet in the air. I'm only going to go, like, two feet and probably kill somebody. Mainly we have good coaches who explain it to us. And then we think of that the drills and the technique on the floor. And just, honestly, it's a lot of trial and error in cheer. I feel like Stefan would agree with that. It's just a lot of trial yeah. and error. You're never really going to know exactly what it's going to feel like or exactly how you're going to react into the in the air or under the sun until you just go and try it. You know, if you make a mistake in the air because you're just learning, because it is, you know, it's you know, it's a new skill you've never done before, and so you're, you're not necessarily always going to hit it perfect the first time. And so it can be kind of scary being under something like that because you know that, you know, the way that 
that base is going to, or that flyer is going to learn and is going to get any good is by you throwing her and understanding that something might go wrong. And so it's just being able to trust her to control herself on the way down, even if something does go wrong. And it's her trusting you that regardless of what she does in the air, regardless of how crazy she comes down, you're going to catch her and keep her off the ground. I've also known that some people will um, go to a trampoline. And so oh, they get, to get that, that, I forgot about to that. To practice what she was talking about of riding before they flip. So they get on the trampoline, get that height where they get used to riding up, 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 get the height where they need to. So then they can control and get used to kind of that falling sensation. Because that's where a lot of flyers kind of get scared as they're used to, you know, flipping right off the ground where you might be flipping three or four feet off the ground, you know, however high you happen to jump. Um, but your feet come back to the ground. Yeah, and their feet are right back to the ground, you know, seconds in, later, where yeah. in a basket toss, you know, like we said, 15, 20 feet in the air. And so you're going to be up there for three, four seconds. And it feels like an eternity when you're up there just and you're oh, just falling. It, yeah, it's kind of freaky. I remember the first time I did one, uh, like a flipping basket. It was just a back tuck basket toss. I went up and I flipped. And then I was like looking down because in gymnastics, I was always taught when you do a backflip, you spot the ground. And I spotted them and I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm still so high. They're not even close to catching me yet. And I just I just had to like sit there and just like watch myself come towards the ground. And it feels like an eternity. And it's kind of weird. You can like hear the wind like mm-hmm. rushing past your ears sometimes. Which is just, it's just the weirdest feeling. Yeah, I imagine it'd be really fun. It's just like, I don't know if I'd ever be able to like just put myself in that position. Once you get past like the first couple of like the scary ones, like we always say the first one's always your worst because you don't know what to expect. And once you get past that, it, it does become really fun. Because then you get to that point where, like, okay, I didn't die. Obviously, I'm still here. I'm still alive. I know I can fix this, this, and this. And then, obviously, as you become more confident in the basket, typically it'll get higher and higher and higher because you can wait longer before you flip. And that actually makes it a lot more fun. And it's also it's also really fun when you're doing them at games and stuff. And there's always those kids there in the first basket toss of the game. Typically, some people are like, <gasps> Because they, they, they've never seen something like that mm-hmm. before. It's not something you see at, like, high school games or in the NFL with the, mm-hmm. their cheerleaders, quote, dancing and stuff. When your fans are getting excited for you, then you get excited. And then yeah. it's addictive. I mean, you have that adrenaline from, like, the dan- like I said, the danger and, like, the skills. And you have the adrenaline of, the, like, the crowd cheering you on. And then, you know, anytime you hit, you know, a skill, you know, then the crowd gets excited because they see that, you know, you hit something and it's impressive. They see, you know, you flipping through the air and they get excited. So then you get excited. Um competing for cheerleading it, it gets into not only understanding of you know the technique stuff but is controlling that adrenaline because it is such a dangerous sport and it is such a high energy sport if you just let that adrenaline run away then you lose the ability to kind of control all the, those technical aspects so it's being able to control that adrenaline is also a big that's when we see thing. a lot of injuries at competitions is people who don't know how to control that adrenaline typically you'll like jump higher you'll go faster um, a lot of people like fall backwards out of tumbling because they have so much adrenaline that they just overpower it. You'll see over, like mm-hmm. a lot of overthrowing and stunts, throwing it too too high and stuff because they're just so hyped up on that adrenaline. Yeah. That's when we see a lot of injuries. So getting a little bit into the Linwood cheer program, um, I guess you could say it's a pretty dominant sport here on campus. Um, There's I mean, like a hundred of us. <laughs> yeah, I mean, definitely. You guys, I mean, there's four cheer squads, right? Um, mm-hmm. We kind of talked about that before. Um, so tell me about the different cheer squads and uh, why they're different. You want me to take her? You want to take I can do it. Um, so we have a small and large co-ed. Um, basically, the difference between a small co-ed and a large co-ed is the ratio of girls to guys. Um, so for a large co-ed team, it's going to be more of a 50-50 ratio because it is a lot of, uh, like we said, co-ed stunts, which are just one guy to one girl. And so... 
um, that ratio is more even. Um, for a small co-ed team, you're going to have a lot more group stunts because um, usually you have a maximum of four boys to a team. And there's 20 people on mat, so it's basically a ratio of four boys, 16 girls, as opposed to like 10 boys, 10 girls, or 11 boys, 9 girls, um, and all that. So um, that's the big difference really is that, you know, the focus of like the stunts for a small co-ed and a large co-ed team is just you know, more group stunts when it comes to the small co-ed team because there are fewer boys um, or more co-ed focused stunts um, on a large co-ed team. Um, and then the difference with our other two teams, which are our intermediate teams, are basically just the, uh, the level of skills that can be thrown. More restrictions. Um, so it's a little more restricted. Um, uh, so they have a difference of, you know, if you can flip this way or if you can, you know, what, like just really what skills you can do. Like, uh, for instance, like a full is illegal for an intermediate, which is where you flip while also rotating. You do a full horizontal rotation while doing a full vertical rotation. Um, and that's just, you know, another level of difficulty that it's kind of knocked back a little bit for the intermediate teams. Um, we also can't do what's called three high pyramids. So like a guy and then a girl on top of the guy and then another girl on top of that girl. You can't do those on intermediate teams. You can only have two high. Um, you can't flip baskets. So baskets can't go upside down. For the intermediate teams, yeah. So that's, that's really the big difference between, like I said, like this, the, any intermediate team and like a D2 team or a uh, D1 team, whatever. I mean, just like football, D1 or D2 is just going to be determined by your, your school size. Okay. Um, so that's going to depend, like, for competition, just basically, like, who you compete against. Really, the only difference between a large co-ed team, a small co-ed team, an all-girl team is going to be the types of stunts thrown and how, like, kind of that's set up. Um, obviously, an all-girl team, for the most part, usually isn't going to have a co-ed stunt because I'm not a co-ed team. But um, you have some beast girls that can do it. Yeah, Louisville all-girl last year had just a row of girls do co-ed stunts and it was that's something that's really kind of seen as super impressive because it's something you usually see guys doing and so it's you know girls who are seen as usually not seen as as powerful and they were hitting the skins just like any boy would so that was kind of really impressive so when you guys say you compete what are your competitions like do you have like competitions every weekend or every month or we have so for college um it's different for all-star teams but for Linwood specifically, we have one competition every year. It's nationals in Daytona Beach, Florida. It's the NCA Collegiate Nationals. That's the only competition we have all year. It's the only thing we train for all year long. So you guys don't have to qualify for that? You just like automatically You in? qualify at camp. You have to go to an NCA camp and you compete uh, what we call a game day routine. So basically a cheer. just And they give you a bid there. And then once you receive that, like the bids... There are different kinds of bids you can get, and depending on the bid, I believe you get more money towards it. So really it kind of comes down to most of these schools, you know, the first time you're competing for the year, you know, the first time you've gone against any of these other schools is at nationals, so it's you to get one shot. There's no, oh, I had an off game. It's That's it. That's You have no, you don't have anything to build up momentum in going into that. You have no prior performances. Basically your only performances are what you've done in practice or what you, if you maybe perform for your school. Um, like we always have a showcase before we go down there to kind of get one little performance done before we go. But um, so it's not like in like basketball or something where you have you know a whole season worth of games, and then you have the playoff games, and you have the finals where you know. So if you know if you lose a couple games during the season, it's not that big a deal. You know if you have an off game, that's one thing. But here it's you know you have one shot. You have prelims and finals, so if you have to go and and sometimes you don't make it to finals depending on your division. Yeah, so that's really the only thing you have to qualify for. You do have to qualify for finals. So like you go down there in the first day of competition, you. Do your routine, and depending on how many teams are in the division determines on how many teams move forward in a finals. Usually it's like the top 
10 teams, sometimes the top six teams, depending on how many teams are in the uh, division. And just based on your performance, day one will determine if you go into finals, and then finals is where it really gets serious and where you really kind of, that's where the, you know, the champions are decided. Battle so. it out. <laughs> so I heard you just mentioned the showcase. That was actually, um, I went to that. It was the first time I actually like watched cheerleading. Because, I mean, before I would like see it on ESPN, I guess mm-hmm. it was nationals every now and like every year around this time. So, um, yeah, I was like, I'll go check it out. It was pretty cool. I was like, I mean, okay, so honestly, I didn't think cheerleading was a sport until now. You, right. I was going to have you convince me, and you guys <laughs> did a good job of that because I did not think cheerleading right. was a sport until so right now. So, when I watch the showcase, it's like, oh, yes, I can. I mean, if it was actually a sport, I could see it being a sport, but. Uh, yeah, it's pr- it's pretty cool just to just watch you guys like go out there and um, perform. It was eye opening for me. So glad you enjoyed it. Thanks <laughs> I, for coming. I did. Yeah, definitely. Um, so tell me about the legacy of cheerleading or the legacy of Lindenwood's cheerleading. Um, I know you guys won a team won nationals last year and a team won this year. Um, is that common? Do you, do you, you guys usually have a team win every year? Um, for the past five years, we've had at least one team win. Um, we are seven-time national champions. Our first national championship came with our small co-ed D2 team back in 2011. Uh, then we didn't win until 2015 when our large co-ed team won, and that kind of sparked like this excitement. Like It sparked kind of this road we've been on, and that was my freshman year was that first year we won. And I've kind of just kind of watched us grow from this team of we would go down there ex- knowing that we could win if everything went perfect, but we were maybe expecting maybe, you know, third or fourth place is about where we kind of expected to hit, even though we, you know, you always shoot for first, but, you know, you, if you're being realistic, that's kind of where we had been kind of falling for the past several years. And then I think it kind of took that large co-ed team proving that it wasn't a fluke for a Linwood program to win for teams to kind of realize, okay, you know, and anytime you win, you have that influx of talent if people want to go to a school that wins so when you win yeah. a national championship you always see that influx of talent coming in Definitely. and so when you win you know two championships in a row then you're going to have even more talent come in so every now year three. it um kind of comes in easier and easier last year we made lindenwood history of for the first year we won two teams took home a championship it was our small co-ed intermediate the team which was the team i was on last year and our large co-ed D2 team, which was the team Lauren was on last year. Yep. And so we were, that was the first year we brought home two championships. Like I said, we're seven-time national champions. Um, as a program. As a program. Our large co-ed has won the most. They're, They're three-time, three-peat champions right now. Yeah, they've won, won the won last three, three years. years in a row, and then in 2015 as well. So they've won four times over in total. And coming onto a team that was coming off of a win, there's a lot of pressure riding on that because, like, you're just a freshman. You know, like, I was like, oh, man, I'm just a freshman. Like, the rest of most of the people on this team have already won before. Like, they have what it takes. Like, do I really have what it takes? And then, like, other people are kind of questioning that. And, of course, the coaches are supportive of it. And they're like, we have you on this team for a reason. But it's a lot of pressure to step into. Even if you're not coming off of onto a team that is coming off of a win, it's still a lot of pressure to step into a program that has a seven-time national championship legacy like we do. Like, and that's something that I'm really proud of. Cause like I said, when I came in, it was I came in the year that the large co-ed won for the first team that kind of started off this kind of winning streak that we've had. And so it's just been a great pleasure of mine to kind of watch this team grow and just kind of watch as the talent has progressed and as everyone has come together. Um, and just kind of as I'm on my way out now, I've just finished my final season and just kind of see the kind of the hands of the, the this team is in, who's going to carry on that legacy. I'm, I'm really proud to say that. I'm really proud of where this program's going and where it's, where it's coming from. Um, and like Lauren said, there is a lot of pressure, like on you know when you're coming in and you know that you know your your team has a 
reputation of winning. Um, it is a lot of pressure, but at the same time, um, it's exciting. Yeah, it's exciting, <laughs> and uh, also the one thing that's a downside of having that legacy of winning is that sometimes people come to Lindenwood expecting a championship basically to be handed to them. They expect, yeah. oh well, I'm here, so I'm going to win. They don't understand that at any given time, even the best teams fall. You know, even the best teams fail. You know, it's you got to put in just as much hard work every year if you want to win. You know, no champion, no one's going to just hand you a championship. That you know, it takes the same hard work every year if you want to keep that legacy going. And luckily for our program, for our, uh, um, you know, for this unit, we've had, you know, our people have stepped up and that's happened. But we've seen it with, like, our small co-ed team of it. They kind of tend to go back and forth. They've won three times. Or no, they've won twice, I'm sorry. And it, they kind of, they'll win a year, then they'll lose a year. And a lot of times it is because they kind of have a habit of kind of letting that pressure go to their head of, oh, we're defending champions. This is ours, basically ours to lose. And it kind of can mess with that focus that I spoke of earlier. It's easy to lose that focus when you're going in and you kind of expect to win. So I kind of learned that early on um, when I, my first year competing with Small Code D2 was, or Small Code Intermediate, I'm sorry. They were coming off a win the previous year. And I kind of saw it as I knew the talent on that team. I knew who we had. And I kind of just took it for granted. I just kind of assumed, I almost just kind of went down expecting to win. And yeah, I put in the work and I, I tried, but I kind of I lost that focus because I, I almost didn't, yeah, I, I didn't even let it enter my mind that we were going to lose. I just kind of expected it to it to happen. And so it's a really kind of eye-opener to remember that regardless of the legacy your program has, if you're not willing to step up and put in that work, you know, legacies fall every day. That legacy really does have, like, a lot of weight, especially, like, down at Nationals because our school is so well-known down there. Like, people look, people talk, people try to intimidate, in many different ways. They take pictures and videos and all this weird stuff to try to intimidate you, even if you're like, I wasn't even on the team that won last year. They don't care. They mm-hmm. just know you're from that program. Like, I had my f- freshman year, which was last year, I hadn't won anything yet. I just had a Linwood shirt on, and someone came up to me and was like, oh, my gosh, you're so awesome. Can I have a picture with you? I was like, why? They're like, well, your team won nationals. And I was like, I didn't. I haven't done that yet. They're like, so, like, you're about to, and I was like, you don't know that. <laughs> it's just it's just a really weird thing to step into. Like, just having that Lindenwood logo on your chest just puts yeah. a target on our back going down there. Yeah, definitely. Lindenwood is a great campus to have legacies. Um, you know, we have so many teams doing well, winning mm-hmm. national championships, and um, you know, it's just a great campus to come on to and to keep, compete with. But, um, Stefan and Lauren, I appreciate you guys coming in. Thanks uh, for having us. Teaching, yeah, so teaching me and the listeners about cheerleading. Um, I officially believe cheerleading is a sport. Depending on um, if you compete or not, um, if you just cheer on the sideline, then um, I'm not going to give you that kind of credit. Can't fault you for that. <laughs> yeah. But um, to everyone listening, thank you for listening. Um, I can't believe it's already episode 009. I've been doing this for nine weeks. It's crazy to think about. But um, I know some of you listen every week. Um, Rise and release them. So if you do, Please uh, contact me in some way. I would like to hear your feedback. I want to hear your feedback during the first week of this release. Um, next week for my 10th episode, I will have my, my old teammate on the field and my brother in life, Pierre Desir. He's going to be in the booth with me and tell me about his journey in life. Um, it's a pretty motivational story, so I encourage you guys to come back and listen next week. Until then, I will catch you guys on the next one.